Hey everyone, welcome back to RTS Masterminds. We have been on a bit of a break here with with Brandon. Uh, both of us have been extremely busy. Do you want to give our <laughs> yeah, excuses kind of my, real quick? <laughs> that's kind of my fault. I feel like um, we were on a bit of a crunch with Tempest Rising to get out first our playable preview and then for Steam Strategy Fest, the demo for Tempest Rising, which is uh, actually out like perpetually from now on uh it shows off kind of the opening cin cinematic the main menu um i'm doing a whole ad for my game now <laughs> um but yeah we just we were just going nuts trying to get that thing out the door and i just didn't have any any spare cycles unfortunately so we can all blame me for the uh the delay in the, the next episode oh no no though there were there were some dates that we arranged that i just skipped out on as well so uh no crunch for us, but we did reveal <laughs> Titan Quest 2, so there's my ad. You can wishlist it now on Steam. <laughs> That's right, oh, Titan was like, Quest. As soon as, as soon as it was announced, I was like, ah! <laughs> it's, probably the, it's probably the biggest, one of the biggest announcements in the whole uh, THQ, like, summer event thing. Yeah, it is the it most Titan wishlisted Quest. thus far, so pretty proud of that. Nice, and nice. I'm hoping that eventually we'll show the gameplay and people will be equally... Happy to see that as they were the cinematic <laughs> announcement. So patience. Nice. Patience. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm obsessively checking our wish list rank. Um <laughs> we we actually the preview did really well for us. We went from 87th most wish listed on Steam to uh we are currently as of uh yesterday at 63rd. Um awesome. And we're one of the most wish listed strategy games. Uh there's a couple of them that are ahead of Tempest Rising, like Homeworld 3, obviously. Uh, Men of War 2 actually is way up there as well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've been blown away by the reception that we've we've gotten so far. And I'm going to stop talking about Tempest Rising. It's hard to not talk about it. But, we'll have to make um, a dedicated episode, though. But today we wanted to talk a little bit about um, Warhammer Age of Sigmar Realms of Ruin, the longest RTS strategy title. <laughs> I know it just rolls <laughs> off the tongue. There's just more name keeps coming as you go. <laughs> Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, Realms of Ruin. It's just keeps going. Wait till they start adding uh, DLCs and expansions. Oh, and you've got realm, realms of Ruin, Realms of Chaos, or whatever the first expansion's going to be. <laughs> Sigmar, bless this ravaged name. Anyways, um, we want to talk a little bit about basically how we perceive the beta and now that launch is coming soon. Uh, they've just announced the um, I think it's faction, no right? So that's looking good. And I think they're launching on November 17th, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. It's early to mid-November anyway. You know what? I've got their site up. Uh, let me just double check so we get that, that right. But yeah, nothing if not timely. That's us, right? <laughs> this was uh, a couple months ago and at this point that they did the um, that they did their beta and we are just now getting to talk about it yes indeed i actually played quite a bit of it i live streamed it for like what was it five hours or so <laughs> yeah it was pretty fun I, I played outside of the live stream a little bit as well um quite a bit of of games i got to do in that time and you know overall it was a good experience although i wasn't entirely positive about it we'll get around to that momentarily uh, but but what are your overall impressions on the game? Okay, so I'm going to do my big caveat spiel. Yeah. Um, my favorite Warhammer game is Dawn of War 2. 
And from the outset, Realms of Ruin has reminded me in a good way of Dawn of War 2. Um, I wrote an article after the beta. Uh, maybe we can link to it in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, where I definitely gave the game some tough love. Um, I think it has promise, but I think it needs to have some polishing done to live up to the promise of the game. Um, you know, it, it's... They're doing it, um, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, console first, but it's definitely a big part of their their plan is to make this a console-friendly game. Um, and I think that that does affect some pretty big sections of the user experience. Uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, like as soon as the, the pre-orders went up, I, I pre-ordered um, the game. I'm really excited. The Night Haunt actually was the faction I was hoping to get because uh, they, they've got the four main um like categories of armies in age of sigmar and for order they have the um what are they called the stormcast eternals and then for the um destruction they have the the orc um oruk oruk yes the <laughs> oruk boys yeah oruk cruel boys and then uh for the undead you know i, I went and i i'm not very familiar with age of sigmar i'm more of a warhammer 40k guy um but I, I looked into the different undead factions and I was like, you know, the, the night haunt would be really cool. And I was very excited to see that they, they went with the night haunt for their undead faction. And then we still have yet to see what they do for chaos. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a, a pretty big launch. Um, you know, four factions. Um, they've got the, the campaign. I think, I think it's going to be a pretty big launch for RTS when it comes out. Yeah, for sure. And they're on all the platforms. They got um, multiplayer, obviously, and with cross-platform play as well. So you can even play oh, I... ranked keyboard and mouse versus controller. That's a thing. <laughs> That's like going back to 2009 like or earlier, uh, 07, with like Halo Wars and uh, Universe at War. I remember playing Universe at War, uh, swapping back and forth between PC and um, <laughs> Xbox. <laughs> Yeah, we, yeah. we also did that in, in Halo Wars 2 that you were able to play keyboard and mouse versus controller. And to this day, it's like fairly even between the two input methods. I, I think for for Universe of War, uh, the, some of the top like 10 players were uh, console players. Hmm. I, 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 in fact, the game is still active because it runs on Microsoft's um, servers. So you can actually go see people on the leaderboard still. Um, and people can that still own the game can go do ranked, um, but there there are people that are at the top of the leaderboards in Universe at War from like you know 2010 or something because <laughs> they never reset them and they're still active. <laughs> but yeah, everybody has high expectations of Realms of Ruin, and you know we haven't seen all that much from the campaign. I'm assuming they don't want to spoil anything, which is fair enough. Um, and based on how the game is working, I believe that that is going to be their big ticket item really um, with their fantastic uh, in-game cinematics. You know, they, they really made sure that the presentation of the game is prioritized over many other things really. So everything's a very cinematic experience. The units are extremely detailed for an RTS. Uh, do you, do you agree with what I just said? Do you think that's the case? Um, yeah, so in their trailer, when they released the Night Haunt, they showed some snippets of what looks like like a world map sort of thing. 
uh, with maybe some branching choices in in how you uh, progress through the, the missions. Um, it'll be interesting to see a little bit more. Uh, hopefully they'll do a, like a campaign trailer or something um, or some sort of other announcement about more specifics about the campaign. But yeah, I think um, campaign is going to be a big push for them. Um, they also have, it looks like they're doing like hero skins, uh, early access unlocks, um, profile customization. So I, I, some of that stuff feels more oriented towards multiplayer to me, mm -hmm. um, like profile banners and, and skins that, that seems more multiplayer related. Um, I wonder if they're going to have, do you know, I actually don't know off the top of my head, um, if they've announced any sort of like co-op or like casual friendly as opposed to it all being, um, Ooh, good question. Ranked. I'm actually not sure. Uh, we're going to have to look. check the steam page super quickly. <laughs> I'm actually on their website. Um, okay. But <laughs> while we are, while one of us does research, the other one can talk more about the game. Um, so absolutely. You are correct. Uh, it's a very pretty RTS. It shows very well. Um, the fact that they have opted to not go for base building, as always, is uh, is controversial. Um, and I don't know if it's more of a let's make this friendlier for console thing, or if they're intentionally kind of trying to evoke Dawn of War two, um, or or. And this is one one thing I think Relic did with Dawn of War 2 is they're trying to evoke more cleanly the tabletop experience. Um, I am a very small part of a couple of Age of Sigmar communities. And um, where my article, like I said, was kind of giving the game some tough love, the actual Sigmar like Reddit community was really, really positive about the game for the most part. Um so it could be that you know this might not be the the game for some like core RTS players, but um, they might capture some like Sigmar people that don't really, <laughs> um, you know, that might be intimidated by a more traditional RTS. So I guess we'll have to see what happens with launch and and afterwards. But it could be that that's an intentional thing to try to capture people that like Warhammer Age of Sigmar, but aren't necessarily going to be like seeking out rts to play um i don't know that's just something that, that occasionally has kind of uh tickled my brain like wondering if they have um like some sort of strategy that they're going for with that yeah you know just being extremely mm, representative of what the age of sigmar ip stands for and capturing that core audience of age of sigmar fans is certainly a, a smart move when you go over the licensed product. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's their core focus. Um, this is actually cool. I did not know this. I'm on their website in their features. They are launching with a map editor, army painter, obviously. Yes. Uh, good touch. Uh, but map editor and a scene editor where you can like pre-create dioramas of, of, uh, of like combat scenarios, place and pose characters and props Oh, wow. creatively curated and shareable scenes to share with the community. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and as for co-op, it's not actually a co-op mode, but it's like a one person, single player challenge mode that they're doing where uh, you have these progressively more difficult levels 
and they're procedurally generated. So that's what they have instead of a co-op experience. So much more single-player focused and not reliant on multiplayer. Okay, that that kind of makes sense. That's um, I mean, that's similar to kind of the draw for something like um, Total War, where you have these these you know massive single-player um, experiences that that are replayable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's clear they they put a ton of resources and a ton of work into this game for sure. Um, but from your and my perspective, <laughs> we both tend to focus uh, at least first on competitive. And there are some things about the game that I think we should talk about that are relevant to that, that I think affected both of our play experiences. Sure, sure. So um, a tough level on the core gameplay next, right? Um, <laughs> I, I think we can definitely That's why people that are here. Hear. Good. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's probably why you're listening or watching. So <laughs> let's, let's do it. Um, like you said at the very beginning, it does feel as though a not necessarily console first experience, but something that was made for uh, both, you know, in, in a way that, okay, this one uh, set of UI decisions must work for both. And therefore, they're not going to leverage the advantages of either the controller layouts uh, that are possible by RTS games or the power of keyboard and mouse fully. Yeah, I, I, it felt to me like more of a compromise than Halo Wars 2 was. Because Halo Wars 2, they um, they went with like the radial menus and, um, you know, it was all, you could get to all of it with hotkeys, but it was, functionally, it felt very much like playing something on a console. And Realms of Ruin, to me, the, the HUD, uh, not only was confusing, you know, as someone that's played my fair share of RTS, um, but was actively annoying sometimes. There was a lot of menus that would come up, yeah. uh, like the build menu, and you couldn't interact with anything else on the screen while the build menu was up. Um, oh, that was so annoying. Yeah, it just takes up the left side of the of your uh, viewport, and that's it. That's the only thing you can interact with. You have to dismiss it to to get back to the action. Yeah, that was very frustrating. It was actually confusing at first. Um, and even during when I was writing my article after the beta ended, um, I think I, I was talking to you and I was like, I got into the the global upgrade menu a couple times and I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. And then you said, oh, wait, um, it's the F key or something that you could like swap between the build menu. Oh, yeah, because uh, you... there's these two buttons in the bottom right and they're not labeled and they're not particularly representative of what they're going to do. So in other strategy games, you you usually have an icon that is straight up text overlaid, right? So it says like, I don't know, think of something like Homeworld, where you're typically going to have your build menu and research menu. And guess what? You have a build and research button. <laughs> so very obvious what it's going to do. Um, but yeah, so I was like scrambling right at the end of the beta to like get screenshots of all the upgrade stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I hardly, and obviously, I, I hardly even used it until like right at the end of the beta because I didn't, I got into it like once by accident. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of frustration around the HUD and the user interface. Even getting into a match, not a, a ranked match, but a custom match, was a little more clicking than you would think it would be because instead of doing pop-ups, everything was like swap to a different screen, swap back, swap to a different screen, swap back like changing your faction, you go to a, a faction select screen and then you go back to the um, 
to the the multiplayer match and then oh yeah um like you're just you're jumping back and forth so many games full, would just full do drop cards. down and it's so easy to understand and you know meanwhile keep the the view of the other screens of let's say there's a chat uh which there wasn't at the time so because you just queue into matchmaking right so there wasn't like a global chat or friend interface or anything like that um, and then going going into the gameplay, I think we can both agree one of the most jarring things is that kind of like in the tabletop game, um, once you engage in melee, you're kind of locked in melee. Um, so it's not like many other games where, um, like I think Dawn of War 2 and maybe even Dawn of War 3, where when you engage in melee, your ranged units lose access to their ranged weapon and revert to a melee weapon and move more slowly. So they can't really get out of melee. This actually locks, locks them indelibly into com combat unless one of them, one of the participants retreats, which was, um, yeah. And the retreat means run back to your base. So as in yes, classic on the four mechanics. So for those of you who didn't play, you literally had to go back to your base to get out of melee. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a non-cancelable order as well. So that means you don't micromanage. You watch the combat unfold, and before you start losing models, then you typically retreat. Um, yeah, and there's I think there's some some level of micro in trying to keep your ranged units out of melee. Yeah. Um, and but once you're in melee, pretty much your options are um, use unit abilities or retreat. It's it's a uh, less dynamic where you can't like back someone out, move them around, try to you know flank your opponent. Um, once you get units engaged in melee, they just kind of stick there in one big clump. Um, exactly, and oftentimes it's not even a player decision to do so because units have a very aggressive leashing behavior, so they like to enter melee combat <laughs> when the um, opportunity is there. They'll take it. Now, as far as fixes for that, they did have several abilities that did knockbacks. And I think knockback abilities can disengage units from melee. So an increase in number of the number of those, I think, would help kind of smooth out the rough edges of that system. Um, or, fingers crossed, they revert to something more like, um, and I think Dawn of War 2 did this, where it applies a speed penalty to units in melee as opposed to doing that indelible lock. Uh, I don't know if they've announced any plans on that either way, but I do have an article up that they wrote um, responding to some of the things we are talking about now. Um, so we're talking right now about our beta experience, and then after this sec section, this segment, uh, we will discuss briefly their article um, that they wrote addressing player feedback that we can maybe even put in the show notes. Yeah, for sure we will. So, yeah. You know, the controls weren't the best, and being locked into melee combat is neither strategic nor tactical. Um, I, I really, really hope they revert this. <laughs> Honestly, my strongest recommendation, if I can make one, would be that. Um, I'd be more interested in playing in the future if they had it. Otherwise, I'm going to see this as a single-player game, to be completely honest <laughs> with you. Um, the multiplayer gamer in me did not feel engaged. Um... <clears throat> yeah, I I enjoyed a lot of the core gameplay experience, but the the locking into melee was was frustrating. Yeah, um, I felt because I felt like it was taking choices away from me once combat started. Um, 
you know, there, there was, um, ancestors legacy by, uh, I never can never remember if it's creative destructions or destructive creations. Um, I think it's creative destructions anyway. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm making a fool of myself, I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, Ancestors Legacy, they had a similar uh, system where units get locked into combat, but they had a two-stage retreat. If you press retreat, the uh, units will run out of combat about a screen's length away toward your home base from where the combat is. And if you press retreat again while they're running, they run all the way back to your base. Uh, and what that lets you do is tactically disengage and then re-engage because a lot of units in Ancestors Legacy had abilities that automatically triggered when they engaged into melee. And there were also bonuses for um, like flanking or being uh, really outnumbering a specific enemy. So you, you create this big ball and then you run people away and try to tactically get them back in so they could do their, you know, big engage abilities or they could, you know, pick who they're flanking. And you Realms know, of Ruin doesn't, doesn't really have that uh, at this point. I do wonder if this is a purposeful decision, though, or whether there's some kind of technical limitation, because everything basically has matched animations, right? The animation work is absolutely fantastic in Realms of Ruin, uh, which is why I, I said so many times that watching the combat is actually super cinematic and cool, mm -hmm. as they're very reactive to each other, the units. So you get a, a certain hammer strike, and it it knocks back the units as if it was hit by that hammer at the exact location that it happens. So that, that stuff is fantastic. And I wonder if the retreat mechanic has to do with that, that they have to create a retreat state for the animations and the transition um, forward. No, that's, that's an excellent point that uh, honestly I hadn't even considered that, that it could be that they're doing that as a compromise to get the better cinematic quality. My, my initial thought was that, you know, if they're specifically trying to target Warhammer players, as opposed to RTS players, um, it could be like a pacing control thing where, uh, you know, these people necessarily don't want to micro. Um, but I think that what you're saying makes probably more sense than what I was thinking. Um, but yeah, I don't know what they have planned for that. But the the competitive player in me wants wants to not have that control taken away because um, I feel like it's it's really decreasing the number of choices you can make once you once you enter combat. Yeah, for sure. As as for other choices in the game, um, you know, the beta had a huge issue with the defensive structures, <laughs> just dictating the game. You would take an enemy base, erect your tower of power and goodbye <laughs> <laughs> so um, nothing touches that as a as a way to expand on what you're saying for people that didn't play so basically how the map the how the gameplay works is on the map there are these um territories and each territory has like a flag in the middle of it um and it's actually a, one of my favorite systems in the game and i actually kind of hope other other games do this is capturing a territory is a relatively quick action but once the territory is captured uh, it kind of fills in with your team color if you have a unit in oh, the yeah. territory uncontested. And the more filled in the territory is, the more resources you generate. So you can um, harass the opponent just by moving units into their territory, which shrinks the size of their, their zone, which decreases their income. So I think that's, that's actually a really neat system. Um, yeah, you can just what... box them at the edge, and it's like harassment gameplay introduced into <laughs> this relic capture point system right 
which is yeah. actually a very I, nice innovation on the subgenre. I, I really like that part. That's actually probably the best part about Realms of Ruin, if I'm honest. I, I honestly agree. I think it's a great system. And I, I like I said, I hope more games do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I started doing is I would just, with my first unit, I would try to just capture the territory and then run to the next one. And I'd backfill with my next unit. Um, you know, coming from your your base structure on the way out, I would just stop in part way to help capture more territory so I could I could grab more regions all at once. And the reason I wanted to grab more regions all at once is what you were saying. Um, so for the people at home um, listening in, uh, once you capture a territory, you can turn the flag into a different building. Um, if they're called bastions, and there's like well, there's like five or six choices, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in, in the beginning, you can only choose like one or two of them. Um, and it was like uh, a scout tower, a resource generator, um, a defensive turret, and maybe uh, a couple of others. One for regen, I believe. Yeah, there's a healing one um, that also reinforces your squads, mm-hmm. uh, I think. But these structures were so powerful once you built them, and they were also relatively cheap, that it kind of shut the game down. So what people started doing in multiplayer and what, what I did um, multiple times is you would just go grab a couple of territories in the middle and reinforce them. And then you've basically, at that point, you've just won because um, you've given yourself a hard point that it's going to take them a really, really, really long time to to break through. Yeah. Uh, and you're gaining resources while you're doing it and they're losing resources because they're losing units and they have to run away. Of course, um, the higher tier units can break it, but it's not like you're losing resources. So... You have the territory, you have the resources, so you can match that, which yeah, it, means it they can commit even very, more. <laughs> very, very hard to uh, to break. And the the other thing, now that you mentioned this, so in in a lot of relic games, um, your resource income is offset by your army size. So in in um, Company of Heroes. I think at least two and three, how it works is you have manpower, which is your primary resource for purchasing units. And the more squads you have, the more units you have on the field, the lower your manpower income is. And there, it, this creates kind of a, an equilibrium in the game that it's hard to get too far ahead in terms of army size, because as you're producing units, your ability to produce units is decreased. Um, that is not the case right now in Realms of Ruin, as far as I know. Uh, it's just... You know, being ahead in territory, being ahead in army size, it just compounds. I um, believe there was something scaling about the resources, but I, I'd be lying if I said I remember what it was. So <laughs> well, I, I'll stop talking. I certainly, <laughs> I certainly hope that I'm wrong, but but what I recall um, being discussed uh, among people who were playing at the time was that that, that system didn't exist. So uh, I, I hope that I'm either wrong or... Um, or that they change it because that that was frustrating because it feels like this sort of game you kind of want to really go back and forth kind of until the end um you know that's that's one thing i liked about dawn of war 2 is that uh you could lose in the mid game anyway you could lose an army and then be able to produce a new one on top of it and come back um get kind of get back into the fight yeah, certainly a very nice rubber banding mechanic that I didn't feel was present, if at all. Um, it's not sufficient if it is present at all. <laughs> um, I've won every game I played, and I live streamed, <laughs> and I invited people to snipe me. So that was a very disappointing part to me. Uh, 
it's my first time playing, right? So there I go, figuring out what each button does, and the matchmaker, after hours of playing, still won't give me someone that can beat me? Come on. I, I don't know that it actually used matchmaking, to be honest. I think it was just randomly matching people against each other. It's entirely possible. But if it didn't, that's a tiny <laughs> bit of a red flag. Because will they truly develop that in the next few months? Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm but there will be ranked modes. Yeah, I'm sure they'll have some sort of uh, LO system or, or matchmaking rating. I really um, hope for it. But I think in the beta, I mean, it was just was one match. It was two factions. Uh, kudos to them for doing both factions, though. Yeah. Um, like, it's good that they had both factions to that point where they could do that. That's right. Do you um, want to talk about those? Uh, yeah. So, so like you said, you corrected me earlier. It's the Auric Cruel Boys and the Stormcast Eternals. Um, I actually preferred the Aurochs. Um, a lot of people were starting out playing the Stormcast Eternals, and I hate mirror matches, so I went right <laughs> to the Oryx. <laughs> um, so my recollection of how they worked is uh, in their tier one was very spammy. You had big squads of a lot of guys, and then at tier two, uh, you got some utility stuff and some spellcasters, and then at tier three, uh, I don't remember their tier three as well. I think they had a, a larger squad at tier three as well. Um, as well as some of their their heavy hitters um but my my big recollection with the cruel boys is their uh their powerful support casters at tier two and tier three yes me too me too that's just <laughs> um psy storm on steroids is basically what they have and let me tell you if you hit hit a clump of enemies with that let's say during a, a fight at the capture point it's a yetus deletus very powerful <laughs> <laughs> so people will have to learn to micro against that kind of stuff and you know with, combined with the melee lock that's actually rather dangerous you have to retreat all the way to your base so powerful aoe's in a, a game design like what we have in realms of ruin is actually really terrifying <laughs> might really control the meta um yeah i don't know that we have any good responses from them regarding how combat's going to be balanced um but i think that that was what i um also saw is that going toward going as you uh went to tier two and tier three the auric cruel boys damage started kind of outscaling the survivability of the stormcast eternals um so that was kind of the the idea is that it was kind of the cruel boys were um, numbers and damage where the stormcast eternals were, um, you know, the like the big space marine style big blocks of hit points, um, with like paladin type uh, abilities plus their lightning AOEs. But my my recollection from what I saw during during beta that was being discussed was that the cruel boys, uh, as of right then, were um, we're outscaling the Stormcast Eternals in the late game. Yeah, to beat that, you would require either the tier three options or stun combos from the Stormcast Eternal, which was um, actually a really nice way to deal with it. But uh, it's certainly not about survivability, it's about ability usage. So the Stormcast Eternal end up not being uh, tanky boys, but a little bit more <laughs> like Protoss, where, okay, they're 
They're survivable. They're few, but you must micro well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the other thing that I'm I'm recalling as I read through this uh, open beta document is that the um, the very easy AI was actually harder, I think, than the normal AI. Um, so I remember a couple <laughs> of times. I, I, I remember, yeah, I remember going against the AI a couple of times, and I got stomped, and I got stomped, and I got stomped, and I finally got good enough to beat the AI. Um, and then I, I switched to a higher level AI and it was like, oh, this is actually easier. And I, I didn't realize it because I, I practiced so much against the harder one. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, I'm just getting better. But yeah, they, they actually mistuned their AI a little bit and the very easy AI was, was too strong. Yeah. These kind of things happen. That's not too much of a surprise, although surprising no, that and they I don't, don't have I don't some count... global modifiers, right? <laughs> I don't count that against them at all. I just thought that was a, a hilarious anecdote. Uh, and again, I mean kudos to them for having multiple ai levels in their in their beta to test out i'm, I'm like, pretty sure they made fun of themselves as well so it, it's cool <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah is there anything else specifically that we need to absolutely touch on? abilities um, the abilities have a special thing about them you don't just cast them they're not just in the cooldown you pay resources what do you think about that? Like macro um, in, resources. So including for retreat. Including um, for retreat, that's right. So retreat costs, you had two resources and I do not remember what they were called, but there was yellow and blue, I recall. <laughs> um, and I think yellow was your primary resource and then blue was like the tech resource. Um, if I'm not misremembering on that one. Um, is that Does that sound right to you as well? I don't remember the colors. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, Let's just refer to them as core and tech. Right. So your your core resource um, was used to upgrade your your base to the next level, um, and I think the first time it was just just cost the core resource, and the second time it cost both of them. Um, so that that was one thing that that struck me is that it was very difficult to um, to tech up while you were using abilities. So there was this kind of tension between like winning fights and teching up um, that I found, which which isn't necessarily a bad thing to me, but it definitely took some getting used to. Um, and because pretty much um, your options were like um, build units, use abilities, tech up, uh, it felt like there was those fewer choices became more critical uh, to get right. So there were times when it was like, do I want to use this ability? If I, if I cast this spell with my hero, then I have to wait another 30 seconds, 30, 40 seconds to tech up. Um, which, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if off the top of my head, if I disliked that, it certainly was jarring the first time I, I, I experienced it. It's very different and it takes some adjustment in your head, I think, to just accept this and and to <laughs> macro around it. Obviously, the base building on the capture points where you could upgrade them to generate resources, that helps with the process. Uh, but that's also an investment in itself. So that's the choices you have. Like you said, make units, upgrade your tech tier, upgrade your oh, capture points okay. or use it. I wrote this. I wrote this in my article. The resources are command is the primary resource. That's the blue one. And realm stone is the red one, uh, red and yellow. Um, it's the tech resource. So that, that was what it was. It was, um, 
blue is command and then red is realm stone uh and most abilities cost i think uh realm stone and that's um how that works is um it's passively generated by the territories as you capture them and then you can build realm stone generators on top of the, the capture points um that give you more basically so kind of as the game goes on it's it's kind of like uh company of heroes where realm stone approximates uh munitions where in you know company of heroes most abilities cost munitions um I had to look it up because we are going back a couple months to the to the beta. Yeah, you're um, all good. You're all good. <laughs> what? I think that might be actually enough. I guess one more mention is that the techs are strange. They're Some of them are mutually exclusive with each other, for example, which is not something that many games do attempt. But yeah, Realms of Ruin does that. And you um, have several upgrades in general. Yeah, so their their tech tree is split into three tiers, and they're unlocked by um, the tier of your core base structure. It's kind of like Dawn of War Two, where you have your your core base that trains units, and you can up upgrade it two times. Yeah. Um, and then af after you upgrade it, it unlocks the next tier of resources or um not resources tech uh, technologies, um. I do like the replayability of, you know, I have these five techs and I can only choose three of them. Um, but it was, hopefully they have some sort of um, encyclopedia or something because in the middle of the game while you're trying to like read the different texts, um, I found it a little, a little tough to do that um, kind of yeah. on the go. <laughs> also, they're not showing the stuff that you haven't yet unlocked, I believe. I um so right now i'm looking at my article and uh in this one uh i am looking at a tier two tooltip well i only have tier one unlocked so i think you actually can um okay them. maybe i misremembered that sorry but I, no i i think there might have been something something like that um i know for example unit abilities uh they didn't have a tooltip unless you selected the ability so it was kind of a two-stage mm -hmm. thing you'd press to go into the mode to use the ability and then you press again to activate it. Uh, but you couldn't see what the ability did unless you started that process. Which is actually a good segue because that's one thing they're changing. Yes. So, um, and thank goodness, because that was very frustrating. As, as <laughs> coming in and trying to learn the game, you know, you don't want to try instinctually, you don't want to try to use the ability unless you know what it does. Yes. So there was this, like every time you went to use an ability, there was this mental stop of like, what is this? Do I want to use it? Oh, wait, I, I have to press it to see what it does. It's, it was very like jarring to try to, to go in and, and do that. Um, but so, yes, that's one of the things that they're, they're changing. So uh, I'm sorry, you, go ahead. I've, no, I've no, no, I, I was just going to encourage you to talk about the things they're changing. You, you're the one with the article up, so. <laughs> right. So um, shortly after the beta concluded, the um, Realms of Ruin team released a, a big article with a list of all the things that they got from feedback and what they're committing to changing. Um, and some of those things that we mentioned are things that they specifically address in the feedback. Um, so for instance, um, we talked earlier about how when you bring up like the build menu, 
you it's you can't interact with anything else in the game until it's closed. Also, you had to manually close it by pressing the the uh, I think it was the C key or whatever it was to open it again. Um, and they're changing that, <laughs> thank goodness. To if you click somewhere else, it'll just close the menu. Um, also, for you know PC oriented players, they're adding better tooltips um, to the tech tree and unit abilities. Um, which is a very key improvement to yeah, really, understanding really the game important. and to not get locked in the UI and whatnot. So both um, of them massively appreciated by me for sure. The the other thing is, um, I'm sure you remember the mini map in the beta was not interactable at all. Yes, you couldn't click on the mini map to send a unit somewhere to pan the camera to that point. Uh, anything it was just kind of there to 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 show you what you were looking at and you know where your units were and that sort of thing. Um, they have announced, they have committed to making the minimap interactable, uh, bringing it in line with other RTS games, which is also, uh, you know, kind of a big weight off of our shoulders. Sigmar um, Plus. <laughs> Sigmar Plus. That's amazing. Um, they are going to be adding a codex, uh, an encyclopedia, which I think is really cool. Um, that to me is kind of a, a gravy thing. It's frosting. It's not uh, essential, but it's nice to have. Um, and it's, I'd like to see that they're that they're doing that, especially for something like Warhammer, where there's so much lore behind everything. Mm. Um, being able to put that in there and see what all the units do outside of combat, I think is really exactly. Really nice so if I don't need to go to some fan website or wiki, and I can just load up the game and learn the units and what they are all about, not just gameplay wise, but also lore wise, um, I'm sure they'll provide some snippets. Then you know that's just going to speed up my process. It's fantastic. Um, so this is another thing that was also odd is many units could only retreat back to base if they were in combat. So you'd have these really damaged units that you'd want to get back to your base and you couldn't retreat them because they weren't fighting. So they're also committing to changing that so you can retreat at any point. Um, and I don't know if there were keybinds, but they are um, noting that, that, that uh, they will provide additional options for that. Um, which I know from our beta, a big thing that Tempest Rising was hit for during the preview um, was that the state of our keybinds. And uh, between the preview and our uh, demo, we, we like uh, our lead programmer went in and he was like, fine, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and he, he like he completely revamped our keybind system. Um, so, but that's something people always want to do. You know, it's sure. not a lot of people do it, but for the people that do, it's it's very, very important to them. Yeah, RTS um, players love their hotkeys, so as many <laughs> hotkeys as possible, please. Um, so anyway, the Realms of Ruin team also, and this was something that I think we all noticed as well when playing the beta, um, is that sometimes there was a noticeable delay between like, selecting the unit and telling it to do something. And then it sat there for a second and then it turned and went to go do whatever you asked it to. Um, so I, I know some people, there is some controversy in the RTS space over what responsiveness means. Um, again, to use the example of the game that I'm working on in Tempest Rising, when you issue a move order to infantry units, they immediately start responding, but Units in Tempest Rising have a bit of an acceleration, so it might take them a, a second to turn around. It might take them a second to, to speed up. Um, that is not what we're talking about. In Realms of Ruin during the beta, there was a noticeable delay between clicking on the ground and the unit even starting to respond to the order. 
Um, it wasn't extreme, but it was definitely noticeable. I would say something on the order of what, what do you think? Um, half a second to a second somewhere in there. Almost. Um, That's actually a very high number. So, you know, and anybody that plays that game a lot and then swaps to another game will instantly realize how bad it is. Um, yeah, and that anyway, that's something that they know is an issue and it's something they're committing to improving. So fingers crossed that um, that they can get that because that that is something that is definitely going to impact people's experience. Yes. Now, I, I totally get the decision to, you know, go for the accel acceleration-based unit response system, but input lag is really not something that's easy to forgive in the RTS space. So uh, people will hold them to significant standards there. Guaranteed. Um, another big thing, well, especially with how good the game looks, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that kind of promises a level of quality and responsiveness that people are going to, um, are going to, I think, rightly hold them to. Um, the other thing that is noted in this article is, and this is something that I noticed as well, um, the way the economy scales in the beta was was strange. In the very early game, you had very, very few resources. But then when you got to the, the mid to end game, so long as the map was relatively evenly divided, um, you kind of stopped having to worry about resource constraints. So it looks like one thing they're going to be addressing is kind of how the economy scales. Uh, and it sounds like what they might do based on this article um, is... Um, higher initial growth rates but lower scaling is what it sounds like mm -hmm. so yeah, in the early game the... you'll have more resources and in the later game you'll have have less exactly so in the early game that should lead to a more forgiving uh pacing of the economy where okay you lose a bunch of units but you also have income to afford new ones so you should hopefully be able to to keep in line with your opponent even though population also happens to be tied to the to the tier up. So that could actually be a bit of a challenge. And I don't recall anything about that changing. No, that's actually not true, at least for the Oric Cruel Boys. They have a note. Let me find. Um, so they have this bullet point that says um, Oric Cruel Boys unit cap size needed to be higher. And they their response was, we suspect this was due to it being unclear how to increase unit squad size in the population cap. We are addressing this for launch. So at least for the Auric Cruel Boys, uh, it sounds like the different factions might have had different mechanisms for increasing their, oh. their squad cap. I don't know. I, I assumed, I, I recall it being the same. Um, I recall it being the same too, with the Aurochs having quite a bit more pop space. Um, but yeah, so what, oh. what I recall is that both for the Stormcast Eternals and the Auric Cruel Boys, every time you increase the tech level of your main structure, it gave you more population cap yeah that's what um, i recall so I, I wonder what else there was maybe i also missed something but the org already felt really strong as they were <laughs> so um, if, if yeah, i missed I... it then i don't know what it was <laughs> and i'm scared now <laughs> <laughs> um li likewise i don't know uh if this was where something's being miscommunicated clearly something's being miscommunicated but i'm not entirely sure where uh mm. because again my my recollection from the beta is that both factions increase their squad cap the same way um and i think honestly given my current mental map of the game it makes sense that that would be the case it would be really weird if one of the factions tied their 
squad cap to, I don't know, territory. And the other one was tech level. That would be, seemed like that would be really hard to balance well. Um, but anyway, regardless, they, they are addressing um, the confusion over uh, how you increase your squad cap. So I don't know if, if, we don't know if they're going to try to change how it works or if they're going to try to make it more forgiving or if they're just going to update some tool tips to try to make it more clear. Um, but it looks like at this point, they're planning on addressing that in some way. Yes, and of course the best parts of of the game actually coming out will mean that we'll have multiple maps, we'll have four races and so many matchups in between the um, all the iterations there. So that's going to be some fantastic variety for sure. <laughs> yeah, launching with four factions is, is a really nice touch. Um, we've had, in fact, uh, we've most of what we've seen lately uh, has been from Relic in that space where they launched Age of Empires 4 with what, five, six, eight? I don't remember. It was a, a good number of factions, though. Eight. Um, yeah. And then um, Company of Heroes 3, they had four. It was US Brits and then the two, um, the Africa Corps and then the, the other German faction. Um, yeah. So, yeah, four, four is a nice touch. Yeah, especially for launch, and I believe... Um, has it been decided about Stormgate already, how many? Uh, um, my four? recollection for Stormgate is that they've announced two. Uh, I think they have talked about a third. I don't know if, they're, if they specifically said we we're going to have four factions. Um, my recollection is they have announced two, and they, they are um, holding on to a third. Yeah, I also but remember the, this. But, but I, I don't think they've they've said anything else about, about that at this point. When we talk about Stormgate again, I think it would be cool to talk about theories for a third faction because I, I think I have it pinned down. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great, man. So we'll, we'll definitely do that. Stormgate is... Uh, we, we did promise a part two, but I think we'll wait until there's more details about the... Um, the Infernals. Like, there was a little bit with the um, Frank Kaplaki uh, video. They showed a little bit of the extra units that weren't shown at Gamescom. Uh, so yeah, the, the Klopaki, um the Klopaki announcement was really cool to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love his music. And it sounds, the actual track they played sounds really good. Like, it does slap. Very true. <laughs> and, and yeah, there, there was a creature in there that splits into two when when killed so looking forward to stuff like that um it actually doesn't split into two when killed it is an ability that kills the unit and splits it into two which is an actually more oh yes the player can choose when it does that cool. um, so you can choose to wait until it's almost dead uh or you can do it right right when you engage combat so i think that's that's actually more interesting than just splitting when it's killed um yeah yeah, better than a reverse Archon. But anyway, for <laughs> Realms of Ruin, I think I think the synopsis for from both of us is that we are looking forward to it, and I'm pretty sure both of us will play it. Um, I'll probably do a, another stream session of it, see if I, I like the multiplayer. If not, I'll just quietly play the campaign on my own time. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty bullish about it at this point. Um, you know, it, it shows really well. It's their article that they put out uh, shows that they're 
um, actually considering issues that, that um, players had with the beta. Uh, I mean, that's no guarantee that all of them are going to be addressed in, you know, what people might consider a satisfactory way, but clearly they're, they're listening. Clearly they care, uh, which I think is a really nice, um, it's a really good sign. Yeah. I'm also really hoping for a spectator mode and replay mode so that um, perhaps commentary can be considered. Although um, I've seen no guarantees of that happening. Um, off the top of my head, neither do I. Um, but I also, if they have a, uh, a replay system, I'm definitely going to do at least a couple of, of casts for it. Nice. Um, I, I'm trying to, to get my YouTube channel, uh, back off the ground. Um, and I'm kind of waiting for this next round of games to start coming out. Um, I think to start doing that. So. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah, with that, I guess uh, we're going to wrap up. Well, Realms of Ruin is going to be a little bit of Dawn of War 2. Certainly no base building, but if you loved Dawn of War 2, you're probably going to like this. Definitely worth <laughs> to take a look. And yeah, absolutely. Any, any thoughts for the exit before I start shilling? <laughs> um, no, I think I've said everything that I, I have in my head about uh, Realms of Ruin right now. Sounds great. So we do have a Patreon where you can get early access to our podcast. Um, we just upload essentially the, the video there early and of course ad free. Um, you can consider that if you want to join. You can also gain access to our private Discord with that. Otherwise, we're on all the major podcast platforms. That's Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, and so on and so forth. All of the major ones, like I said. So with that, it's been Brian Martin and we've had Brandon Castile with us today. It's been great. And we'll see you the next time. See you next time.